All right, so Michael Gadway is going to be doing our next talk, and he began his spiritual studies with Mr. Davis in 1988, and he was ordained as a CSA minister in 2003. He's been teaching truth principles and the liberating science of Kriya Yoga for the last 15 years. He is the author of three books on these topics. And today he's going to be talking to us about how we can live an awakened life. So welcome, Michael. It's great to have you with us. Hi, everybody. Let's, since we're coming back, let's start with a centering meditation, if that's okay. Take your meditation postures, <clears throat> upright, fixed, firm, and comfortable. Go ahead and close your eyes and raise your gaze. Take a deep breath in and let it go. Let us inwardly honor this Kriya Yoga Guru lineage. And take the time to acknowledge that at the core we are pure existence being. That we are already that which we most desire. We have only to awaken to it. Inwardly affirm this as your reality, the only reality. Take just a moment to notice that the silence has a presence. And that you can rest in that presence. allowing it to blossom from within. Divine Mother, Blessed Father, Beloved Friend, God, may your light shine steadily in the sanctuary of our continued devotion, and may we see this same light awakened in all hearts everywhere. God, Christ, Gurus. Namaste. How's everybody doing? Okay. What a great morning. Let me just take this moment to say thank you to Pascal, the hostess with the mostess, um, keeping us organized. And um, she's really helped me when it comes to uh, participating in these seminars to be organized and also, to acknowledge that Ryan and Leodi's talks this morning were amazing. I learned a lot. Uh, and Lodi, Leodi, thank you for, uh, I learned a lot. So I really appreciate that. Even after all these years to hear that was very helpful to me. So I appreciate it. So thank you, all three of you. You know, when um, Ryan assigned me this topic, I was kind of intimidated not by the subject matter, but I have to give you step-by-step -step instructions and be inspirational. And I was, I was telling Pascal, it feels like an oxymoron, you know, like, like freezer burn or only choice. I was like, I have to be inspiration and give you step-by-step. -step, so I'm going to do the best I can. So I hope you're patient with me, the inspirational part anyway. So before we begin, I just want to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. 
that we're all okay with the terminology that I'm going to use. So if I say to you, we are all expressions of the one consciousness, we are all rays of the one light. Is everybody okay with that? Okay. So if, so if I can say that, can I also say to you that at the core, we're all the same. In Roy's language, we're all individuated, individualized units of pure existence being, but that we are unique and diverse expressions of that one consciousness. Is that okay with everybody? Okay. So one of the things I want to make sure, because it's, for me, it's been a very important question to ask myself this. If at the core, I am individualized units, unit of pure existence being, how am I as consciousness expressing consciousness? How am I as consciousness assisting consciousness in the awakening process? Am I teacher? Am I father? Butcher, baker, candlestick maker. What is my unique expression of consciousness in this world? And the reason I think it's important to figure that out is when you figure that out, you know your dharma, right? And by the way, dharma doesn't mean that's how you make your money. You may have a different dharma than the way you earn an income. But to know your dharma helps us in the process to choose to live an awakened life. By knowing our dharma, we are better able to understand how to make choices. Does that make sense to everybody? And once we know we are awake enough to make a choice, we have admitted to ourselves that our lives are no longer these supportive of our spiritual practices. Our daily routines, how we choose to live, have become reflections of our consciousness. Right? So not only are what we do during the day supportive, it's also a direct reflection of the consciousness that we have. And we can use that to assess where we are on the spiritual path. Okay? It's a really good tool for that. So we can look at our lives and decide, are we living the consciousness we claim to have? Because if you look at your life and it's not where you think it should be, or it's not an expression, then you don't own, you haven't realized the consciousness you say you have. Does that make sense? So we look at our lives, not in order to blame or shame, but as tools of assessment. So I went and I asked myself, are there specific yogic tools that I can apply to analyze my life, to assess it? And it turns out there's many, many tools, but today we're only gonna use two, okay? two tools that we're going to use to assess our daily routines. The first of this tool you may or may not have heard is Granthi. Is everybody familiar with the Granthis? Granthis are knots, yogic knots. And there are three Granthis, Brahma, Vishnu, and Rudra. This is where our energy are knotted up. And they show places of attachment and aversion. The first knot is Brahma Granthi. And we have to, as yogis, untie these knots in the transformation of consciousness process. And Brahma Granthi relates to the first three chakras. And it's basically how we deal with the world at large, the world of appearances, the first three chakras. 
Are we attached to money? Are we attached to our home, our job, our work, how we are perceived by others? If we are attached or averse to any of those things, it shows us we have a knot we have to untie. Does that make sense? The second knot is the Vishnu Granthi. Vishnu Granthi has to do with the fourth chakra. This is when we are attached or averse to feelings. You've met people that are attached to their feelings, you, you, and you will recognize them from now on. Well, they always say, you ask them to do something for you, and they say this, that doesn't feel right to me. Almost always, that's a statement of narcissism, by the way. They are attached to how they feel about it, because what you're asking them to do is sacrifice themselves for someone else, and that doesn't feel right. So you know if you're worried about uh, too much empathy, the savior complex, this is all coming from the fourth chakra. So it's somewhere we have to work on. It's a knot we have to untie. So we can use these, remember, as assessment tools, not blame or shame. The third knot we have to untie as yogis is known as the rudra knot. Rudra has to do with fifth, sixth, and seventh chakras. This is when we're attached to superconscious experiences. You know this when Roy used to tell us, if you, if you have bliss or you see saints or you always ask yourself, that's nice, but is there more? Because we don't want to get stuck this side of pure existence being because we're attached to our percept, superconscious perceptions. That's that story Yoganandaji used to tell about the guy who had an appointment with the king and he got lost in the garden, right? He were, we were attached to those three chakras. Okay, so now we're going to take those as we move through this next hour and we're going to apply those to our lives, our daily routines. Okay, are our perceptions knotted up about the world at large? Are we overly concerned, like now, with what's going on outside of the world? Okay, are we attached to our feelings? I love you, you know, overly attached to that. Or are we attached to seeing saints, bliss, joy, all those kind of things? Okay. The next way we're going to, to assess our lives is you all may be surprised, but believe it or not, there is mindfulness in yoga. As a matter of fact, I call it yogic mindfulness. All right? This is the use of the gunas. I'm sure you're all familiar with the gunas, especially if you're students of Roy Eugene Davis. So we know it's interesting, though, because if we look at Samkhya philosophy, the 1100 verses of Samkhya philosophy, the enumeration, this actual philosophy, they talk about the gunas in a little bit different way than you and I may have heard in the past. We all know that when the gunas are in balance, manifested creation doesn't exist. It's only when the gunas are out of balance that manifestation of the multiverses is formed. Now, Roy used to say it was a bubbling out process. Okay, but the other thing that the uh, Samkhya philosophy says is that if the gunas are in balance, there is also no karma. Because if karma is action reaction, when the gunas are in balance, there is no action and therefore no reaction. So one of the ways we can assess our lives, and I'm going to approach it from a little bit different way with you, is to look to see if we're in balance. Because if we're in balance, then we are not creating further karma. We're not enmeshing ourselves further in the karmic process. Okay? So I asked myself, can I take this ahamkara, 
this universal sense of I amness and translate it to asmita, the individualized sense of I amness. Can I take the gunas and translate it that way? And it turns out I can. So if we were to take away the Sanskrit language, how would we translate this for ourselves? It would be this way. Ask yourself as you go through your day, the thoughts you think, the words you say, the actions you take, am I grounded as I consciously move towards my highest good? You are now applying the gunas in a mindful way. Am I grounded as I consciously move towards my highest good? Okay. You can apply this mindfulness, this yogic mindfulness to everything you do. Okay. I think it's an important step. And we're going to go through today the routines that we're going to go through, and we're going to actually apply yogic mindfulness to the routines that we do. Any questions so far? Pascal has told me I tend to go too fast, so just want to make sure. Okay. So I asked myself, are there any yogic... Michael, I do, excuse me, I do have a question. Could you, you know, there are a lot of meanings for groundedness. So could you clarify that? So groundedness for me, and I think it's important that everybody have their own sense of groundedness. Groundedness for me means that I am in a calm, centered place. Inwardly, I am still. Okay. In other words, I have my feet on the ground, my head in the clouds kind of thing. I'm balanced. That was Yukteswar's saying for that. So are you coming from that centered place? That would be grounded for me. Does that work? Okay. So I asked myself this question. Does yoga provide me any tools to help me stay grounded and consciously move to have the strength and steadiness to move forward. And it does. I found this one. In Pada 3, Sutra 31, it says, by perfect contemplation of the karma nadi comes steadiness. Karma means tortoise. So by contemplating the tortoise nadi, it, get, it grounds us and gives us the strength to move forward. Okay, here's a practical tool you can use through your day. So I had to go looking. How do you stimulate tortoise nadi? How do you stimulate the karma nadi? Well, it turns out we already know how. We just didn't realize it. It's practicing mulabandha. Really simple. Yogis say that you should get so good at mulabandha, you can meditate, hold the bandha, and not even be thinking about it. But by practicing mulabandha, you give that strength and groundedness and steadiness you need to move forward. Okay? So it's a really good tool. So as we move forward, apply these standards. Are there anywhere, any places that I am attached or averse to, the knots, and am I grounded as I consciously move forward towards my highest good? Okay? So we're going to apply that now to health. So we have to ask ourselves, am I living a healthy yogic lifestyle? And Ryan talked about this a little bit. What does it mean to be healthy? And I think that's a really important point that he made, and I'm going to make it too. We need to know what health means to each of us. Okay? The Western definition of health is the lack or absence of disease. 
that does not work for me at all. I have to tell you, because all of us are walking around with cancer cells. None of us are, are perfectly healthy. That kind of lack of absence of disease doesn't exist in the real world. So the death Western definition doesn't work for me at all. The Ayurvedic definition is health is a result of balance. That's better for me, but it still doesn't work. And Ayurveda acknowledges that we're never exactly always in balance, that it's an ongoing process. But still, I think I can be healthy and not necessarily be perfectly balanced. Okay. So my definition of health is the unrestricted soul expression. The soul's innate ability to express effortlessly when unhindered in body or mind. That's my personal definition. But I think you should take the time to write down your definition. How do you think health should unfold for you? What does healthy look like? What does healthy aging look like? Can, can you walk six miles a day? Is that your definition of healthy? That's okay with me. Okay. But you should know what it looks like because how are you going to set your goals if you don't know what that goal is going to look like? Okay. So as we move forward, there's two points I want to make about the routines we're going to cover. And that is the importance of moderation and routine. As we go through our daily routines, We want to be moderate in everything. We don't want to sleep too much. We don't want to sleep too little. We don't want to eat too much. We don't want to eat too little. We want to find the perfect balance, the moderation point for us in everything that we do. The other thing we want to do is know that routine is very important. The body and mind thrive on routine. Going to bed the same time, waking up the same time, eating regularly, just helps us stay very grounded and the body and mind thrive. We're better able to handle the stresses of everyday living when we're practicing routine. Okay. And I'm very routine and self-regulated and, and have always been and found it to be very helpful, especially during times of stress. I told Roy the last time I saw him that it was my routine and my established behaviors that helped me get through the very roughest times of my life. Because even if I was dealing with something really awful, I went for my walk every day. I processed during my walk. So develop routine for yourself that works. Don't be so attached to the routine you can't go on vacation, but at the same time, make sure that your daily living you can. So in health, what we're gonna do today is look at health from an Ayurvedic perspective. And you may or may not, but we're going to approach it from a different way than you may have gone over with Ryan. We're going to look at health from the six pillars of Ayurvedic health. Ayurveda says there are six pillars of health. I say there's seven. We're going to talk about those seven pillars. The pillars are exercise, cleansing, sleep, nutrition, mindfulness, breath, And here's the seventh pillar I'm adding, meditation, contemplation, and prayer. I think these are your pillars of health, okay? We're not going to go over pranayama or meditation so much today because I'm sure you're all very adept at that. And we've talked about mindfulness by using the gunas, okay? So we're going to apply mindfulness to exercise, cleansing, sleep, and nutrition today. And I'm not going to spend a half hour on each. We're going to, we're going to do them in a, sort of a light way and a way to help you have uh, routines that you can go by. 
The first one we're going to look at is nutrition. Here's the thing. You're all probably very familiar with Ayurveda now and how to your constitution. It's very important. But you know, 90 some odd percent of the world does not eat right for their constitution. And a lot of those people are healthy. Like the entire Greek peninsula is very healthy. Some of the healthiest people in the world and they don't eat right for their constitution. So is there a way that we can look at food from a different perspective And I think there is. How can we look at our food mindfully? And I have come up with what I call the three H's. The three H's of eating mindfully. And that's this. When you're preparing your food or you look down and you're going to eat something, look at your plate and ask yourself these three questions. The first question is, is it healthy? If you look down at that plate and it's not healthy, You and you alone have that choice. And in today's world, given the information technology available, there is no longer any excuse for not eating healthy. I'm sorry, but if you don't know if something's healthy, it takes 10 seconds now to look it up on the internet and find out if it's healthy or not. So when you look down at your food, ask yourself that simple question, is it healthy? And if it's not healthy, the question is no longer, I don't know that it's healthy or not. The question should become to you, why am I eating this toxic waste? That should be the question of mindfulness you have to ask yourself. I know this isn't healthy. Why am I eating this? If this is a reflection of my consciousness, hmm. The next question is, does it make me happy? If you look down at this food and you go, Ugh, it's healthy, you're not nurturing yourself. It is not emotionally nurturing. You are not using the prana of the food properly. And if you are not nurturing yourself emotionally, you are also not nurturing the astral body. They are intimately connected. So when you look down at the food, you should say, wow, this looks good. I can't wait to eat this. Mm, Maybe my mouth even waters. All right. So is it healthy? Does it make me happy? And by the way, these aren't an either or question. They go together. Okay. The food needs to be healthy and make you happy. Because we've met those people that eat healthy, but the food has no emotional value. They're like dried husks, aren't they? They don't have any EQs, no emotional equivalents. No quotients that way. It has to be both. You have to nurture yourself both physically and emotionally when it comes to nutrition. And the last H of the three H's is how much should I eat? The really interesting thing about asking how much is study after study has proven that if you eat mindfully, you will not eat as much. That people who learn to eat mindfully lose weight after a year like 10 pounds on the average. Because the more mindful you are, the more you're utilizing the prana in the food, the less you need because it's so much more nurturing. So when you eat daily, simply apply these three H's. Is it healthy? Does it make me happy? How much should I eat? Pretty simple, right?
So here's a few rules of nutrition. And these come mostly from Ayurveda because that is, after all, my training. We talked about eating mindfully. Eat right for your constitution. I always found it a lot of fun to learn my constitution and what worked for it and what didn't. Eat on a regular schedule. Remember, the body thrives on regularity. If you eat three meals a day, make sure you're eating the same time every day. Lunch is considered to be the most important. That's when your metabolism is kicked on the most. It's when you burn the most calories. It's when you use it up the most. Feed the fire. Try not to eat after 6 p.m. Make dinner your lightest meal and don't eat after 6 p.m. Some studies show that if you don't eat after 4 p.m., you can eat anything you want and still stay healthy. I wouldn't test that out, but some studies show that. Learn the Ayurvedic food combining rules. They are really powerful. Not in the short term, but in the long term. Not that you have to live by them and you can't play with them, but if you 80% of the time eat right for the Ayurvedic food combining, it goes a long way towards healthy longevity. You remember, your digestive tract is not technically part of the body. It's a tube that runs through the body, but it's only got two openings, one on each end. But 70% of your immune system is found in your digestive tract. So learning to take care of your digestive tract goes a very long way to taking care of your immune system and your overall health. Water should be drinking without ice. There is a trend now to drink too much water. Find the balance for you. Okay. And then learn taste therapy. Taste therapy is awesome. You don't have to memorize your, your food list if you know which taste you can and cannot eat for your, for your constitution. You know that bitter taste is good for pitta and kapha, right? So you can learn those taste therapies and just apply them to your constitution, and you don't have to walk around with a food list all the time. Okay. So we're going to move forward now to exercise. How do we be mindful of exercising? I don't really care what exercise you do as long as you exercise every day. Do you know the new thing is they're saying they're calling smoking or sitting is the new smoking. Have you all heard that? Sitting is the new smoking. Find something to do. Me, I walk. I believe the human body was made for walking. I walk between three and five miles every day. First thing in the morning, last thing in the evening. Okay. If Hatha yoga is your way to exercise, great, do Hatha. If it's, and, and now, even if you're homebound, you can do a stationary bicycle or a treadmill, or you can walk up and down your stairs. You can walk around your house, get your steps in, find some way to move. Just don't sit all day long. So when you exercise, take in constitutional considerations. Kaphas can exercise more. Pittas are moderate. Vata, especially as they get older, should exercise a little bit less. Make sure it's non-impactful. But all exercise should be refreshing and invigorating. You should enjoy it. You should be mindful enough to be, does it make me happy? Find a way to move that makes you happy. Okay? And Ayurveda has this way of being mindfulness. Mindful. It's really neat. It says there's a halfway mark. And if you push past this halfway mark in exercise, you push too hard. You're not being mindful. Okay? So you want to find the halfway mark for you. Ayurveda says, sweat on the brow, small of the back. 
that works not in the heat of the summer and it doesn't work for kapha pittas well, but it does, but it does work. You can use it that way. So find your halfway mark for exercise. If you go past that halfway mark, the body can't heal itself. And this has been proven in studies. Turns out professional athletes have higher mortality rates, die younger than non-athletes. Did you know that? They've pushed their body past that halfway mark too hard, too far, too long. Okay. So find the exercise that works for you. Just moderate, easy exercise and make it part of your routine. Even if you just start out walking five, 10 minutes a day, that's all. Sleep. Let's talk about sleep. Again, in moderation. We don't want to sleep too much. We don't want to sleep too little. We want to sleep like this baby here. The effects of sleep deprivation are well documented now. If you get too little sleep, uh, irritable. Did you know that people that don't sleep enough overeat more? They lose their willpower. They can't say no to sweets, especially in fat. Find the right amount of sleep for you. If you don't, if you don't have a REM cycle, you actually can begin to hallucinate. Okay, it suppresses growth. There's a risk of obesity goes up. Your 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 temperature goes down. Your thyroid shuts down if you don't sleep enough. It's amazing. Here are a few of the Ayurvedic things we need to pay attention to. We sleep. Uh, find the right sleep for your constitution. Kapha, eight to nine hours, pitta, seven to eight, vada, six to seven. So, for example, I'm pitta kapha. I do perfect at eight hours. I can function on six, but eight hours is my ideal. And so I've noticed, because I'm almost, I'm 60 this year, I've noticed as I age, I need to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. My clock has changed. So now I'm going to bed at 9 p.m. and waking up at 4 a.m. That's my way. As you age and you enter the more vata time period of your life, you need to go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. Ayurveda says that for every hour of sleep you get before midnight, it has the same refreshing quality as two hours after midnight. So by going to bed before midnight, you need less sleep because it's more refreshing. Okay. Let's talk about the room you sleep in. It should be clean, cold and dark, and without technology. Come on. If you can't sleep without the technology next to your bed, I would say one of those Gronthies is activated. Which Gronthie are you knotted up if you can't go to bed without technology? Okay. The other thing about clean, not only should your room be clean, but so should you. Wash your sheets at least once a week. At least. Twice a week is better. The other thing, don't wear your pajamas more than two nights in a row. Studies are really clear. Pajamas get nasty. Have two or three pajamas, change them every two nights or so. All that dead skin in the bed and in, the, in, your, in your pajamas, go ahead and change that. Have a winding down period. Don't sleep with fans or air conditioners on you. They aggravate vata. Okay. The traditional Chinese medicine, this area behind the neck, is where if cold air hits it, it's called the evil chi area. Because when cold air hits the back of your neck and shoulders, it affects your entire nervous system. It's very vata aggravating. Okay, Don't sleep with fans. Don't have the, the windows open with cold air hitting you in the back of the neck. Be very careful with that. Avoid stimulants after 3 p.m. 
create a bedtime routine. Train your mind and your body that now you're winding down because you're going to sleep, right? Remembering that in a bed, only two things should happen. One of them sleep. You all can figure out what the other one is. <laughs> you can, if you're having trouble sleeping, you can apply sesame oil to your feet and scalp at night. This doesn't work for everybody. For example, I'm Pitta Kapha. What they say in Ayurveda is I'm a wet Pitta. That's what they call me. To put oil on my feet because how my feet go, I go, makes me miserable. I can't sleep if I do it. I can't sleep with oily feet. But if it works for you, it can be very healthy. Remember, the feet have more pores than anywhere but the mouth. You can actually put peppermint oil on your feet and taste it in 20 minutes. Um, Avoid naps. If you do have some challenges, here's just a few tips to sleep. A handful of cherries in the afternoon, some warm milk, and sleepy time tea. The next thing we're going to cover is cleansing. So Ayurveda has seasonal cleansing, yearly cleansing, and daily cleansing. We're going to go over the daily cleansing together. The seasonal cleansing or uh, panchakarma, you can do home panchakarma. I think it's wonderful. If you really want to know more about panchakarma, contact Ryan. I'm sure he can guide you to the right place. In the morning, scrape your tongue. Remember we talked about the, the digestive tract and the tongue. It's a direct reflection of your digestive tract. If you wake up with white mucusy stuff all over your tongue, that's what your digestive tract looks like too. Scrape it out, get rid of it. Don't swallow it back down in. Do gum pulling. Uh, you learn to use a neti pot. <clears throat> a neti pot's really important for me, not only for sinus issues, but remember that this area is one of the areas where prana is centered. So keeping your sinuses clean and well-tuned is very important for your prana, for the flow of prana, okay? Alternate nostril breathing, all those things. To have daily bowel movements, use trifla. Try three fala fruits, three desiccated fruits, they have all tastes in them but salty, so they're very balancing. And you can do your own body scrub. Body scrubs are really cheap. You just take processed sugar, uh, use a, an oil that's right for your constitution, and then add an essential oil that's right for your constitution, and you can make an amazing body scrub for no money at all. Okay? So that very quickly, we went over the pillars of health using mindfulness instead of going over details. Be mindful. How much exercise do you get in? Get in some. Daily cleansing, or it's a simple process. Find the right sleep pattern for you. Eat mindfully. Okay? So now, as we get towards the last part of this presentation, we're going to talk about goal setting. But maybe from a little bit different perspective. I was perusing PubMed not long ago, and I came across this study. It's a cross-study, and it's called The Motivating Function of Thinking About the Future, Expectations versus Fantasy. And I'll be very honest with you. I was really surprised by the outcome. This In this cross-study, what she found was 
that people who use creative visualization were no more successful than people who did not. And that shocked me, to be honest. And I have to read why. And it turns out, Leodi already talked about this in her presentation. One of the things that people do who creatively visualize wrongly is they sit back and wait for it to come to them. They don't take the necessary steps to move forward. And we're going to be talking about those steps in just a little while. But I wondered about that because I've experienced something different. I think there's more a more insidious reason for our creative visualizations, our manifestations not to occur. Over the years, I've had a lot of people come to me and ask me, listen, I'm doing what Roy says in his books. I'm following the step by step by step, but I'm still not experiencing the results I would like. And so we sit down together and we go over, as Leodi did, exactly how to do it. And I can't find anything wrong with their technique, with their process. And then I ask this question. Do you feel worthy to experience the results you're asking for? And almost always, there's hesitation. Here's the problem. If you are saying to life, God, uh, universal mind, here's what I want to manifest. But at the core, you do not believe you're worthy of it. Now you have created two opposing forces. You are saying, I righteously deserve and want this manifestation. This is part of my righteous desires, but I don't believe I'm worthy. So in essence, they cross each other out. Let's, in a mathematical formula, if you have a plus one and a negative one, what do you get? Zero. Exactly. Thank you, Gloria. So you get a zero. You get nothing. They cross each other out. You cannot have two opposing beliefs at the same time. In other words, you cannot be of two minds. Okay? So one of the biggest detriments I find in yogis is they do not have good self-esteem. So they're doing everything right technically, but they don't believe they deserve it. They don't believe they're worthy of it. So their results are either not forthcoming or not the results they would hope for, okay? So you have to have good self-esteem. You have to believe that you're worthy, okay? So now I would like you all to get out a pen and paper. We're going to do something together. It's only going to take like five minutes or an iPad or some way. I'll wait just a minute. So if you don't believe that you're worthy of the blessings of spirit, that you don't deserve these boons, what you are in essence doing is saying, no, thank you. You're not allowing life to take care of you because you don't feel you're worth it. I went to Roy one time and I complained about how hard my life was and I didn't know what to do. And he got a little frustrated with me and he said, Mike, what do you want? 
I don't know what I want. I told him that. And he said, that's the first thing you need to figure out. I think the first thing I needed to realize was, what do I deserve? Do I feel worthy or not? So what we're going to do together now is we're going to take this Rosenberg self-esteem scale. We're just going to ask 10 questions. You're going to assign a numeric value to the answer. And then the results are for you. We're not going to share these results. Okay. Please pay attention to the numeric value because they change from question to question. This is only going to take a few minutes. You ready? The first question is, on the whole, am I satisfied with myself? On the whole, am I satisfied with myself? Strongly agree one, agree two, disagree three, strongly disagree four points. On the whole, am I satisfied with myself? If you need me to go back, I'm going too fast. Please speak up. Number two, at times, I think I'm no good at all. At times, I think I'm no good at all. Strongly agree, four, this is different. Agree, three. Disagree, two. Strongly disagree, one. At times, I think I'm no good at all. Number three. I feel that I have a number of good qualities. Strongly agree one, agree two, disagree three, strongly disagree four. I feel that I have a number of good qualities. I see some of you flinching. <laughs> okay. I am able to do things as well as most other people. I am able to do things as well as most other people. Strongly agree one, agree two, disagree three, strongly disagree four. I am able to do things as well as most other people. I feel I do not have much to be proud of. I feel I do not have much to be proud of. Strongly agree four, agree three, disagree two, Strongly disagree, one. I feel I do not have much to be proud of. <clears throat> I certainly feel useless at times. Strongly agree, four. Agree, three. Disagree, two. Strongly disagree, one. I certainly feel useless at times. Number seven. I feel that I'm a person of worth, at least on equal plane with others. I feel that I'm a person of worth, at least on equal plane with others. Strongly agree one, agree two, disagree three, strongly disagree four. Number eight, I wish I could have more respect for myself. Strongly agree four, agree three, disagree two, strongly disagree one. I wish I could have more respect for myself. Number nine, all in all, I feel I'm inclined to feel that I'm a failure. All in all, overall, I am inclined to feel that I am a failure. Strongly agree four, agree three, disagree two, strongly disagree one. All in all, I'm inclined to feel that I'm a failure. And the last one is, I take a positive attitude towards myself. Strongly agree one, 
agree to, disagree three, strongly disagree four. I take a positive attitude towards myself. Now add these all up. If you come quantitatively and you get to above 15, you have a strong sense of self-esteem, a strong sense of I am worthy. Less than 15, there's work to be done. So if you are creatively visualizing and desiring prosperity and all the things that go with it, as Roy defined it, to thrive, to flourish, to be successful in all ways, but at the same time, you do not believe you are worthy, the results are going to be nullified. Okay, So we've got to work on those results. So let me tell you a secret. When I first took this test, I did terrible, really terrible. I had to work on all of it. Okay, So just because we're yogis, doesn't mean we don't have work to do on the inside, all right? And if we're going to be successful at using these tools and techniques that Roy gave us, we have to make sure we know we're worthy of everything he's given us as tools, okay? So now let's talk about what this study said, that people don't take the practical steps, which Leoti uh, mentioned, to get where they need to go. So we learn, need to learn what to do. How do I need to do this? That sounds much more simple than it is, okay? One of the things that people do is they have this goal. They have this big vision. And I know for me that when I have a big vision like that, I want to accomplish something, I get overwhelmed. It's too much for me, okay? Even though I visualized and felt how it should be at the end, The big picture is too much for me. So what I have to do for me is I have to compartmentalize it. Okay. I have to create it so that I know it's step by step. Okay. Then I'm really good at focusing on each step. All right. But if I just say I'm going to get there and don't figure out how I'm going to get there, it's very challenging for me. Now, for some of you, you have to write it down. If you have to write down step by step, that's fine, okay? It doesn't work for me because when I write things down like that, it becomes too rigid. I can't be flexible enough. That's my own downfall. But I'm very good at putting it in my head and compartmentalizing it step by step. Now, here's some a way that we can train ourselves to take step by step to get to the big picture, okay? Not only can you visualize the end result, you can also creatively visualize each step, okay? So if you know your first step is this, you can sit down, just as Leoti taught you already, and visualize that step. What would it feel like? What would it look like? How can I overcome any obstacles, okay? And then make sure that you are flexible enough to allow for changes. Because if you visualize this step and it occurs, Life, God, may be leading you in another direction to get to the end result. And you have to be flexible enough to allow for changes to get there. And so once you take that step, then take the next step. 
compartmentalize and take the next step. How does that step look? What are challenges you may have to overcome and how would it feel to overcome any of those challenges? Okay, and take your time to get there. And the other thing is allow for consciousness to express, give it the time to manifest. Again, Leodi touched on this. If you visualize something, and by the way, Lahiri said that, that just because you own it in consciousness doesn't mean it immediately manifests. It still takes time to manifest. Allow time for things to manifest. Okay? So these are the ways we can overcome this tendency to sit back and wait for it to come to us. These are the ways we can move our feet while we pray. Okay? These are the step-by-steps. So when it comes to goal setting, there's a few things we should really take mindfulness of. Clarity. Leody talked about clarity. Make sure your goals are clear and well-defined. Like Roy said, what do you want, Mike? What do you want? Be clear about what you want. Okay? Feedback. That doesn't mean you have to go get other people's opinions of what you're doing. It means to sit back and regularly assess, how am I doing? How is my consciousness today? Am I living up? Is my daily life a reflection of my consciousness? Or do I need to work on some things? How do I need to change what I'm doing to accomplish what I want to accomplish? Compartmentalize. I think compartmentalization is very, very important. Okay? It doesn't mean you ruin your creativity. It doesn't take away the art of what you're doing. It just means it allows you to live in the present moment step by step. Okay, and we don't get overwhelmed that way. Task, complexity. We're not in kindergarten anymore. It's okay to challenge ourselves. It's okay for something to be hard. It's okay because it helps us grow. When you have goals, allow them to be challenging. Allow for failure, accept that it may happen. Okay, be mature about the fact that you may have to change how you approach things in order to be successful. Okay, and by the way, if you don't succeed at something, you aren't the failure. You may have experienced some kind of challenge, but you're not the failure. That's a self-esteem issue. Okay. Commitment. I think commitment is the most important of all of them you should be fully committed to achieving your goals. So I looked up the word commitment. The state or quality of being dedicated, another word for dedicated, by the way, is devoted, to a cause or activity. We have to be committed to what we do. Right? If we're not committed, if we're not dedicated to whatever we're visualizing, the goals we set, we're not going to put the effort in. And one of the quotes that I remember from Roy was, if you do everything you know you need to do to succeed, you cannot possibly fail. You have to be committed, okay? And my favorite quote about that is, at the moment of commitment, the entire universe conspires to assist you. I love that word conspires. It's a tricky word. You know what it means? To make secret plans jointly to bring about a particular result. The universe conspires to bring about a result for you. 
that you don't even know it's doing it. Okay, some could define that as grace. The universe moves gracefully to support you. It makes secret plans to support you. All you have to do is be committed. Thank you for spending the time with me today. I appreciate that. I hope it was helpful. Thank you. Wonderful presentation. Very helpful. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very Michael. much. God bless you, Michael. Thank you, Thank Michael. You. Michael. Let's give it up to Michael. That was a great talk, full of really informative and helpful information, and also to Leodi. Yeah. Thank you, great Leody. And Ryan. Thank you. And really, uh, thank all of you for being here today and sharing in the spiritual awareness, consciousness, and prosperity consciousness. Thank you for your donations and helping support CSA. Uh, The ministry does help support the global healing of the world. And that's needed more now than ever. And so we'll finish out today by just doing a little quick meditation we will close our eyes we can close our eyes and allow our meditation to flow spontaneously Remember, as we are established in the clarity of our being, that we want to live from that clarity. And as we function in the world, from that clarity, from our true nature, we have full support of the universe. And we have that grace that flows to us and from us. We have blessings that come to us and we are blessings to others. Om Shanti 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 Om Peace, peace, peace. Namaste. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks again for being here. Thank you, Ryan. Read your book. Do the work. <laughs> Thank you. Don't wait. Thank you. Bye, Thank everyone. You. Great to see you.
Thank you. Good to see you, Ryan. Thank you all for a great day. Very inspiring.